ability to be seen as the best. Real quick, the Saudis are going to keep trying to do this, right? They're going to keep trying to buy into sports? Absolutely, because their goal is to have you think about Saudi Arabia, not their human rights atrocities or Jamal Khashoggi, but in terms of sporting excellence, which is why they're banning themselves with like Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, and now the latest attempt to have Mbappe, who was a World Cup hero in the last World Cup, and who won it the one before that. Alex Ward, thank you. Appreciate it. That does it for us tonight. Ashley Banfield starts right now. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to Banfield. I'm Brian Antonin for Ashley tonight. Uh, The Gilgo Beach murder case. Right when you think it is going to slow down a bit, there is so much new information that comes out. And it was another one of those days. It was busy today. Police, uh, they have now revealed where suspect Rex Hureman is being held. We're going to share that with you in a minute. And there is something very, very interesting we did not expect about this specific facility. We will also get uh, a live update from the Hureman home at the center of the investigation Police, they have been excavating that backyard. They've been digging and digging and digging. We've got a News Nation station there with a helicopter that's been up all day long with a camera on that backyard, and it has been active. We're going to go there live tonight and find out what's going on. And, and what about the search in the basement? Was there really a soundproof room down there? You probably saw the headlines all day about that soundproof room. Well, it turns out uh, they may, that may have actually been some bad information. We didn't report it here. We've been looking into it. We're going to explain why that was initially reported and what might have actually been happening down there in the basement based on what police said today. And why did it take so long for police to ID Hureman? They had a description of him. They had a description of his vehicle. All of that more than 10 years ago. The question, did a corruption scandal stall the investigation and actually put people at risk for all of these years? To me, that has been one of the most fascinating things about this case and the most infuriating things since the beginning of all of this. The possible cover-up. What was going on with that little police department there? Why weren't they investigating? Did they just look the other way? What about the police chief? What was he maybe doing uh, behind the scenes, causing him not to want to look into it? We're investigating new information that has just come out on that, and we'll explain it all to you. And speaking of a cover-up, we continue to dig into whether the United States has a secret UFO crash retrieval program. I know, it still even sounds weird for me uh, to say that after I've been reporting on this for almost two months, Uh, but we are now just two days away from an official congressional hearing on the topic. Congressional hearings. It's gotten real, folks. Whether you believe it, whether you're a skeptic, there is now a hearing happening on Capitol Hill. Our News Nation reporting got the whole thing started. We're going to have an update on that, talk about the hearing and what actually goes on at some of those secret military bases. Uh, That is coming up later in the show. But let's get started uh, in Long Island, New York, where there was another press conference, and we learned quite a bit more about suspect uh, Rex Hureman, including his current whereabouts and exactly what kind of room he had in the basement of his own home. 
We now know that Hierman is being held at the Riverhead Correctional Facility in Riverhead, New York. It has a maximum capacity of 840 inmates and houses minimum, medium, and also maximum security uh, prisoners, some like Hierman, who are awaiting trials, but there are others there who have already been convicted uh, and sentenced. And it is right next door to the courthouse. We have learned there is even an underground tunnel that connects the two buildings. That could be the reason that they've decided to keep him there, because guess what? When he goes to and from court, you're not going to see Hearman very much because he's going to be underground. If they're worried about threats, they don't have to worry. They keep him underground the whole time. Of course, that always annoys us in the media because we can't get that shot of him. But that's where he's being held uh, right now. We also got uh, more information about the structure under Rex Hurman's house. Several outlets had reported police found a soundproof room in the basement. But today, law enforcement explained that that was actually inaccurate and the room was actually a vault used to store Hurman's 300-plus guns. It was a big vault. It wasn't a soundproof room. It was a vault, and he had a lot of guns, 300 of them. Investigators are not just uh, searching inside the house today. For the second day in a row, there was a yellow excavator scooping dirt in the backyard of Hewerman's house. Again, you see it right there. We had the, uh, the helicopter for our News Nation station up all day. Look how active it was. I mean, it's been going on for days and days. A man uh, could be seen scanning for buried objects. They had almost what looked like a metal detector out there today. There were cadaver dogs that they also brought in today that we spotted out there uh, behind the house. County uh, District Attorney says investigators are looking for trace evidence. That's what they call looking for blood and DNA, but also souvenirs or trophies that he may have kept from the victims. And it's possible that those may even be buried right there in the backyard. At one point, they were even like pulling up the patio. I mean, they have been going to town in that backyard today. News Nation's national correspondent, Sloan Glass, she is outside the house uh, in Massapequa Park, uh, New York tonight. Sloan, what's going on out there tonight? It looks very, very active. I see the police are are behind you again. Uh, What's been the latest uh, tonight? Yeah, Brian, 11 days in, and it is still very active. There's police presence here 24-7, and it's not just behind me. On every street corner surrounding the property, there are police. But this has also become a bit of a tourist attraction. It's 10 p.m., and there's still a crowd of people who are hoping to get a glimpse at the house where an accused serial killer has lived. So we are just looking at continued action outside of the Hurman house. Yeah, it's amazing. It's been 12 days about since they started searching. Uh, they brought a lot of stuff out initially. We were able to get video of it uh, on the outside. We saw there was that doll that they brought out, the portrait of the bruised girl. They carried some guns out. Um, What does the focus seem to be now? Because based on the helicopter footage that we got today, certainly looked like the focus now is the backyard. Do we know if they've actually found anything in the backyard yet? Are they just continuing to dig around? Yeah, Brian, from this weekend and today, the focus was absolutely on the backyard. We saw heavy machinery being brought in, police dogs, as you mentioned, and then also ground penetration equipment, that's sonar technology to help map out the area. And we did see more items being brought out into the evidence trucks, but we don't know what that evidence is. We don't know what exactly they found. Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison saying today that he wouldn't go into details about that, but that it has been very fruitful. We also saw them take apart that 
patio and just lift the entire ground. I mean, they are making sure that every inch of the inside and outside of that house is being looked at. But the backyard has been the main focus over the last few days. Yeah, you can see the excavator right there in the video that we're showing, Sloan. They have made uh, mention that they're starting to wrap up. I think they said something today like this may be the last week that they're out there. Are you getting any indication? Have you seen anyone packing up? Have you seen them remo- starting to remove equipment? Or is it just as, as crazy out there as it was Friday night when we saw you? I did. It's hard to tell. Excuse me. It's hard to tell what exactly investigators are bringing in and out of the house. But today I did see one of the crime lab investigators bring out what looked to be their tent and wrap it up. Things are going to wrap up here at the house. Now, that doesn't mean that the investigation ends. It just means that the search of this property would come to an end. 12, perhaps 13 days later, Harrison saying that he expects things to wrap up here in the next 24 to 48 hours. And interesting, we we just found out that when things do wrap up here, media will get a one hour notice where we can be outside of the house, film, and then past that point, we have to leave or face any sort of violations. They're doing this to help you know, bring back some normalcy to the residents here. But if you are not a resident in this area, they will start fining you if you are in this area and around that house and the property. They're just trying to bring things back to some semblance of normalcy for the neighbors who live here and for over a week have had to have their lives uprooted by by our presence and also yeah. by all the police activity. Yeah, I get it. Look, I mean, you can imagine what the neighbors have been through. That road has been totally shut down. And then you're going to have all the crime tourists who start showing up and wanting to catch a glimpse of the house and see what it looks like for themselves. I've just been thinking to myself, Sloan, I mean, this video from the outside, it's so active. They're digging all over the place. Just imagine the inside of this house, what we can't see. I mean, they have probably turned this house upside down cut the walls open, looking for anything that they can that could be a clue possibly connecting him to another murder. I want to ask you, though, because today the commissioner disputed a few things. I mentioned the fact that there was a soundproof room. They immediately knocked that down, said it was actually a gun safe. But they also brought up the fact that um, there's been all of this talk that, wait, they knew the car description, the Chevy Avalanche back in 2010. Why didn't they do more? Why didn't they do more? Uh, today, the commissioner actually disputed how much they knew back then. Uh, c- can you describe what, what he said? Right. That was really interesting to me to hear Harrison say that he is unaware of police having that evidence of the Chevy Avalanche back in 2010. Now, that is the truck that um, the witness to Amber Costello, who's one of the Gilgo Beach victims, had said that they'd seen that truck. Her roommate had said that they'd seen that truck in her driveway before she went missing. They also went into great detail about the driver of that truck. But saying that they did not have that evidence in 2010 contradicts what that roommate had said to many outlets and has said in documentaries in the past that right after Amber went missing in 2010, he went to police and gave them that description. I I also um, wanted to share something that I thought was interesting from what was shared today. Brian, the, the vault inside the house that we know was filled with 
close to 300 firearms is the reason why Huerman was arrested in Midtown by his office. Police didn't want to arrest him in his home because they knew ah. of the presence of many, many firearms. Interesting that they knew that. I wonder if they actually knew that he was going to have 300, though, and that it was going to be this massive vault in the basement. Very, very interesting. Makes sense why they wouldn't want to nab him while he's at the house. Um, Sloan Glass, thank you so much. Let us know if anything else happens out there. You never know when they're going to bring something else out. Uh, We appreciate you being out there tonight. Yeah, will do. Okay, the question a lot of people are now asking is with all of this alleged evidence, how did Rex Hurman go so long without being considered a suspect? We know they only really started looking into him from what they're telling us uh, last year. I want to bring in Billy Jensen. He is a true crime investigative journalist and the co-host of the podcast Unraveled, the Long Island serial killer. He has really been following this case longer than pretty much anyone at this point and knows all the in and outs. Uh, Billy, thank you for being with us again. Why did it take so long for them to zero in on him? And I also want to ask you something about what the police commissioner said today, sort of disputing the fact that they knew about the the Chevy Avalanche back in 2010, because that's been a big headline. If they knew that that was the car, why didn't they do more? Does it surprise you now they're sort of starting to dispute that? That's going to be the million dollar question, especially if he's killed since then, because you have the roommate, Dave Schaller, uh, Amber's roommate, saying, I gave them all the information. I gave them the truck. I gave them the fact that we had rolled this guy two days before she went missing. Obviously, this is the first guy that you want to interview. And they were given all of this information. This is not a, a matter of technology catching up with this case. This is pure police work, regular shoe leather police work. And the fact that they didn't zero in on this guy way earlier, that's the that's the million dollar question in this case. And I can't believe that they're saying that they didn't have this information earlier because all points are showing that they did have this information. Yeah, I think it is the million dollar question. And I know that people are so interested in the case and sort of what's happening now and the murders and who Rex Hurman is. But I urge everyone to really look into the past 10 years. And, and the, the former county police chief, James Burke, he actually pleaded guilty to federal conspiracy charges in 2016, spent time uh, on those charges, beating up a suspect uh, who had a, stole a stash, his stash of sex toys uh, and porn. I mean, it, it's hard not to, to wonder whether this former police chief had this sordid past and didn't want people and investigators and the FBI looking into him. So is that possibly the reason, Billy, that he wanted everyone to sort of just like stop looking into this this serial killer case? That's absolutely a big reason why he wanted it. He didn't want anybody sniffing around his dirty laundry. He ran this town like his own little fiefdom. But remember, he took over the case after a year. So the police that were in charge for a year should have zeroed in on him, on Hurman, way earlier. Then Burke gets in charge and he, he kicks the FBI, the most sophisticated crime-solving unit in the history of the world, off of the case and really shuts everything down. We don't hear anything about the case for years and years and years. So there's a couple questions that need to be answered. One is, why wasn't it solved before Burke got there? We know why it wasn't solved when Burke got there, because he kicked everybody out. 
so and also not only protecting himself, I've wondered if he was a part of this this ring of people who pe- patronize sex workers. Is it possible he was also trying to protect other people in the process? Really interesting. I hope someone digs into that. I hope the FBI is looking into that because it, it, it could really they could go down some crazy rabbit holes there. I want to play a clip for you real quick, Billy, though, from a YouTube interview uh, that Rex Heuerman did last year. Uh, it's a real estate series uh, that he was a part of. I find it so creepy to hear his voice, and I'm so interested every time I watch watch um, these interview clips. He actually said that he's the smartest and most connected guy in New York um, in this interview. Uh, take a listen, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Is this my understanding that you're kind of a facilitator with the Department of Building? Is that correct? But please tell us. That's correct, but much more. I do troubleshooting, architectural troubleshooting, and negotiations with the building department. Okay. What I mean by that is, do we do the standard stuff with the building department, um, handle your filings, um, I have other clients who are a lot of other architects, mm-hmm. and we'll handle their interactions with the building department, yeah. especially out-of-city architects because they're a little afraid of the city. When a job <laughs> that should have been routine suddenly yeah. becomes not routine, yeah. I get the phone call. It doesn't exactly fit the code book, and the plan examiners who work for the building department didn't fully understand it. So... Part of my job became educate the city. What has this job uh, taught you about yourself? I think it's taught me more about how to understand people. Because dealing with the technical aspects is something a person can learn. Mm -hmm. You go to school and do an architectural program. You work for the experience of doing architecture. You get your license to practice. Yeah, yeah. As your time goes on, you learn about the buildings and about the codes and the different buildings of time frames. I'm dealing with a building from the 1880s right now. You know mm-hmm. how they react. But yeah. it's the people, how they're all so different and how you deal with the people, I think, is one of the more interesting aspects that have come out of this. Yes. Okay. So there are two things, Billy, I want to ask you about this clip. First of all, as someone who worked this case hard and investigated it and didn't obviously know who the killer was, now that you see that video clip and we sort of get this lens into who he is, we hear his voice, we see his mannerisms, I mean, is it at all what you expected? I mean, he's he that's typical South Shore, Long Island bravado. He's the guy that you go to. I will take care of it. I'm a fixer, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think, you know, um, a lot of us were always thinking because it happens a lot that he would be a contractor. But it turns out he was uh, an architect with a little bit of contracting in there as well. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. The fact that he was wearing a suit is the thing that shocked everybody the most. And I think that's why the press ran with that picture of him wearing the suit, because, you know, seeing a serial killer wearing a suit is something that's way different than the way that we see the serial killer now. Now we're finally just seeing his mugshot, which is what we should be seeing. And you talk about the bravado. He kind of says he's the most powerful man in New York. We talked about the fact that this former police chief, there may have been a cover-up. People didn't want to investigate this. Is it possible that he may have actually known some of these people in the police department and that they may have all been working together 
to keep this from being investigated. I mean, is that too far of a leap or do you think that's in the realm of possibility? Anything is possible. You know, the first thing I did uh, once I got the name was got went into newspapers.com, went on to Newsday, went into all the different places, tried to see if he's ever been around Burke or anything like that. Couldn't Ooh. find anything. But, you know, stranger things have definitely happened. Interesting. We'll, we'll have to keep digging on that. Uh, Billy Jensen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, it is a lot of death for a fairly small stretch of Long Island Beach. It's not a big place. Rex Hurman is officially connected to and charged to the murders of three women found there on Gilgo Beach. But there are more bodies there whose deaths are unsolved. There are families who need closure and need justice. Is there a Rex Hurman connection to the other mysterious murders near his home? Not even just the ones on the beach. There are other unsolved murders. Women also. Exactly how many murderers are on the loose out there if it's not Rex Hurman? That's another really, really good question. We're going to dive into it coming up next. Rex Hurman, let's remember, is not the name and face connected to every murder victim found on that notorious stretch of Long Island Highway called Gilgo Beach. Nobody is saying that, not yet anyway. Hurman is charged with three deaths and is the main suspect in a fourth. And we are talking about 11 bodies that have been unearthed in that area. It's been a 15-year period or so. 11 so far, they are unsolved murders. One part of the Rex Hurman investigation is looking at any connection between him and other unsolved deaths. You see them all there. There are so many. It's not only on Long Island, though. I want to bring in Alexis Linkletter. She hosts the podcast Unraveled, which has been all over the Long Island serial killer story for years. Uh, they dedicated an entire season to it. I remember I saw you on News Nation. You were doing a, a live shot from your car because you were like rushing to get to that press conference uh, the first day. So you, you've, you've been all over this, Alexis. But let me ask you, we, we, we've got a lot of attention on South Carolina and Las Vegas, where Hurman has had property um, or apartments or whatever, and, they, and they've been looking to see if, if he's connected to any uh, disappearances or murders there. But what about back on Long Island? I mean, you, you saw that map. There are so many unsolved murders. Is it possible that he could be connected to the majority or even all of them? I think it is possible, given how the current police administration has been handling this case. We know that they identified Rex Hurman 16 months prior to arresting him and they watched him and they really wanted to build a solid case against him. So there's a big possibility that they're holding back what they have on him and they're working to connect him to these cases. And we don't know what they have against him yet. We don't know the evidence that they have that could connect him to these other cases yet. It's possible that no, he's not connected, but there's a big possibility that they have information that does in fact implicate him and we just don't have it yet. What information is out there that you know of, Alexis, that would point to a different person, a different killer? Because we've heard uh, some of the victim's attorneys say that, like, look, don't just put your focus on this one guy now that he's been arrested. It's possible that there could be someone else out there. Um, Is there anything that points to that that we know of at this point? Well, we know that the M.O. and the other cases are drastically different. Uh, the Gilgo Four, which are the murders that he's been implicated and connected to based on the evidence, are so different than the murders that happened prior in earlier years that they suspect also are connected to the Long Island serial killer case. So I think MO is a big thing that they're looking at, and I'm sure they're looking at timeline as well. 
Yeah, and, and um, we know that in the past, you know, they've said that with the cases that they've confirmed are connected to him, uh, that his his wife and kids were out of town. So perhaps that's not the case with some of these other um, killings. It's interesting, the, the police commissioner... Um, he said, quote, shame on us if we don't look into Las Vegas, South Carolina, even Atlantic City. When he was talking about these these other murders, he said they want to cover all their bases in this case. Do you think, Alexis, that they're just trying to do their due diligence and say, uh, look, we've we've tried everything. We've, we're covering our bases. Or do you think that they believe there really may be a connection to Huerman uh, in some of these other states? I think it's both. I know in the context of Atlantic City that that connection was examined prior to the identification of the suspect. And I think now with new context, being able to trace and build a timeline and understand what this man has done in the last decade, they can reexamine these other cases and see if it's possible. So I think both can be true. They're doing their due diligence because the previous police administrations drop the ball, so they should do the diligence. But I also think you learn so many new things once a suspect is identified that it's possible mm. to be able to trace him to this area at that time. Yeah, and there's so much that they did in secret. You mentioned how long they had him as the suspect and no one found out about it. It wasn't leaked. It wasn't in the newspaper. It wasn't on the news. Clearly, there's a lot that they're still keeping secret right now. But I can't help but just keep questioning in my mind, is there another killer out there? Is there someone else sitting at home right now so relieved that all of this focus is on Rex um, and thinking maybe I can actually get away with some of these other murders that actually have nothing to do uh, with Rex Hurman? It's a great question because I'm sure that was Rex for over yeah. 13 13- years being satisfied, feeling as though he'd gotten away with it. And if he is not, in fact, responsible for all of them, somebody is at home feeling that way. And I think that's why the police are playing their cards so close to the vest, right? They succeeded in this implication and arrest of Rex Hewerman. If they know more, if they know there's another killer, it worked. They should keep it close to the vest and continue on with their investigation because I feel as though they will identify them. Yeah, we got to give them the benefit of the doubt, I think, especially because um, we didn't know all the hard work they were doing before, which eventually led to an arrest, a big arrest. So certainly there's a lot that we don't know about uh, that they're working on right now. Alexis Linkletter, uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Okay, still to come tonight, serial murders just one state away from the Gilgo murders hold so many similarities. It's almost hard to believe they could be the work of two different predators. You heard us mention Atlantic City. You heard us mention some of those other places. Uh, We're going to dive in coming up next. Long before Rex Huerman's arrest, detectives had looked at the possible ties between Long Island's Gilgo Beach murders and a string of unsolved murders some 170 miles away in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Instead of a thicket on a beach, the Atlantic City victims, they were all found in a drainage ditch. Five feet deep and 10 feet wide, they were found behind a strip of CD motels that you see right there. In 2006, two women were out for a walk when they stumbled upon the first of four dead bodies that were found there. All of them were face down. They were in muck. It took a while, but they were eventually identified as Molly Diltz, Kim Raffo, Barbara Breeder, and Tracy Roberts, who you see there. And all of them were also female sex workers. All of them were strangled all of them clothed 
uh, but they did not have shoes on and they did not have any personal belongings on them. Three were placed with their heads facing east, which led the media to dub the killer the Eastbound Stranglers. And now, 17 years later, the Eastbound Strangler still has not been identified. Those murders are still unsolved. I want to bring in Robin uh, Dreek, a retired FBI special agent and head of the Counterintelligence Intelligence Behavioral uh, Analysis Program. Thank you for being with us tonight, Robin. What do you make of the similarities between uh, these murders in Atlantic City and, and, and uh, Long Island? Do you think we should be reading into this? Do you think it's possible there's a connection? It seems that way, doesn't it? Matter of fact, I was, when I was researching the case, I was also noting that the investigators back then for the East Coast Strangler was also they did a great profile of him, and the profile strangely fits, you know, their current arrest for the Gilgo Beach ones as well. So, I think there's a lot of similarities, especially the strangulation, the missing shoes. Those are the two big ones for me. So similarities, but how do they go about making an actual connection, Robin? I mean, would there be DNA evidence all these years later? I'm I'm assuming the remains have obviously been buried or cremated at this point uh, from Atlantic City. I mean, how do they actually prove if he is involved? It's going to come down to the investigation back then. What we've really seen a lot of cases in this past year and a lot that you've covered, Brian, as well, is it seems like duct tape and hair have been really the undoing of a lot of these murders. And so hopefully the investigators back then with Atlantic City as well were able to collect the evidence and they hold evidence for an awful long time. And so they can then take the new technologies and new advancements and apply it to what they have back then and try to do those overlays. I think there's a good chance that they're already seeing a comparison similarity. What is the deal with this rage towards sex workers? I mean, we've seen it in Long Island. Uh, It was all sex worker victims in Atlantic City. Like, why the rage towards them specifically? Interesting word, rage. I wouldn't necessarily say it's rage. When, When you're dealing with someone that is trying to satisfy their own sexual deviancy, they're going to go for, one, someone who's not going to necessarily, in their eyes, be missed by a population so they can get away with it. And they're also looking for someone that they can victimize without them being alerted to really abhorrent behavior. And so if they're paying for it, they don't think they're going to be missed and they can take advantage at that up close and personal level that they want to get that satisfaction that they're looking for. I think it just makes the target that they're going for. And it's happened not just in this case, but other cases through history. Yeah. And the don't think they're going to be missed element always makes me so sad about these cases because then we interview the family members and it's like these women are human beings And, uh, you know, so many people don't even care about these murders initially just because they're sex workers. But they're not just sex workers. I mean, they're people, too. So it's good that these cases are now getting more attention. And it really goes to highlight how to the extent that these serial killers, these horrendous people objectify everyone and everything. And to your point, exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. They're objectifying these women and they're taking advantage. What do you make of the fact that the heads were facing east? What, what could that mean in terms of, uh, you know, with, with the Atlantic City killings? It's, it's interesting when you look at that. There's two things that people are looking at. Was it meant for someone else or is it meant for them? I think because of the way these bodies were disposed of, I'm my conjecture is it was meant for him. You know, he wants them close. He wants them to be able to 
recollect and fantasize about what he committed, what he did. And so being able to think about those dead bodies looking at him or being able to draw memories of the horrendous things he did, I think it was all for him. What do you think? I mean, you've been doing this kind of work for a long time and with the FBI. Does your gut tell you that that Rex Hurman's going to be charged and connected to other murders? I mean, obviously, it seems it's going in that direction with some of the murders right there on Gilgo Beach. But what, what about some of these others like this Atlantic City? I mean, do you think that they may actually be able to make the connection? I would think so. If you take a look at human behavior, it follows an arc of life. And serial killers generally start their their killing in their late 20s on average. And if you look at, you know, back to when he's, you know, these first bodies went missing or late 90s, early 2000s, 2003 is when he would be in his late 20s. You're seeing a tempo of potential killings that he did and you're you're going to be able to draw those connections so that's one thing and then when you're looking at the dna evidence i think they're going to be able to really draw a lot of connections and like uh, alexis was saying your last guest there's a lot of things that law enforcement knows that they're not sharing right now and i'm i'm really hopeful that they got a lot of things that are going to come out on this one this one has a lot of tendrils i think and mm. the bt the btk killer was also saying that there's a lot of similarities between him and this guy as well yeah, and I just wonder, too, does this become, I and mean, of course he's just accused at this point, so I don't want to convict sure. him, but, 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 you know, does he sort of cooperate at some point and, and give them little nuggets to lead to some of these other murders that he could be involved in? Does it almost become a game with him as he becomes kind of bored in, in prison? I mean, you mentioned BTK, that sort of happened with him. We've seen that happen with some of these other serial killers. That's a really great point. And it's there's a probability of that because what they're ultimately going for and at this stage, again, if he's convicted, is that that notoriety, that that grandiosity, because that's what psychopathy is all about. There's nothing else there. It's a total emptiness of life except for the grandiosity. Look how great I am. I guarantee you, if this is him, the fact that BTK was like drawing these comparisons, he's relishing that if that's him because he thinks he's better than him. That's what these people are going for. They're going for that grandiosity, that one-upsmanship. So yeah. there's a possibility. It's such a sick and twisted world. And with BTK, the fact that he's writing letters now from prison about the Long Island serial killer, I mean, obviously he just still wants the attention. He feeds on that too. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the way it plays out if they're actually able to make any any of these connections to other cases. Uh, Robin Dreek, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Okay. After a quick break, switching topics here, another really fascinating and chilling one, though. UFOs are finally arriving on Capitol Hill. It actually is happening, sort of, in a way, but it's happening. Three big-name witnesses set to testify Wednesday on their alleged close encounters. It is the hottest ticket in town. A lot of people want to go to these congressional hearings. They don't have enough seats. They said that today. You're going to have to live stream. You're going to have to watch it on News Nation. We'll have the whole thing on News Nation. Coming up, we'll explain how you can watch the hearings for yourself, plus what really goes on at Area 51, how all of that could be connected. I will take a look coming up. Okay, so if you want to watch this week's congressional UFO hearings, and those don't happen very often, you're definitely not alone. A lot of people want to see this from beginning to end. Demand to see the in-person hearings is so high 
that Representative Tim Burchett's office is encouraging people to just stay away. You're not going to get a seat. You can either watch it online or better yet, watch it right here on News Nation because we're going to have the hearings from beginning to end Wednesday morning. You won't miss a beat. You won't have to watch the sound bites or see a condensed version. You can watch the whole thing right here Wednesday morning. Uh, the key witnesses due to testify before the House Oversight Committee on Wednesday are David Fravor, a former U.S. Navy commander, Ryan Graves, a former U.S. Navy pilot, and David Grush, a former U.S. intelligence official whose story News Nation first brought you uh, last month. Fravor and Graves both claim to have seen UFOs, or as the government prefers to call them, UAPs. They call them unidentified aerial phenomena. While Grush has claimed the government is in possession of non-human origin spacecraft. Listen to what he told us. When you say crash retrieval, what do you mean? Uh, these are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles. You know, call it spacecraft if you will. Non-human, exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. We have spacecraft from another species. We do. So this is something interesting. Grush uh, didn't tell us everything he knows in that interview. He was concerned because of his high-level national security, uh, you know, top-secret clearances that he has. So there was a lot that he wouldn't talk about. Is he going to talk about those things at the hearings? Are we going to learn even more from David Grush because he'll feel comfortable and feel like in that setting he's allowed to do that and won't suffer the repercussions and won't be punished? Uh, that's what I'm going to be looking for. And I think it's possible. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, we're going to f- ask the question, what does the government have? What do they know? Um, and we know that the epicenter of the UAP-related government activity, obviously, Area 51. You always hear about Area 51. It's in the movies. We all talk about it all the time. But how much do we or can we really actually know about Area 51? Our own Ashley Banfield digs into it. No serious conversation about UFOs, in the United States anyway, can go very far without mentioning that place. It's where most alien theorists and fans of the paranormal will tell you the U.S. government is hiding all of its outer space secrets. It's called Area 51. And if you didn't already know, it's way out in the desert in Nevada, sealed off from the public. It belongs to the Air Force, and it is top secret, classified. The Pentagon does acknowledge that Area 51 exists, but good luck finding out anything more. If you ask what goes on there, military officials say it's a flight testing facility and open training range, but they won't say much more than that. And that's what makes Area 51 the perfect spot for mystery and conspiracy fans. The secret. Is the Air Force keeping UFOs there? Maybe. Is proof of extraterrestrial visitors being stored there? Nobody will say. Is the government hiding something there? Could be. But one thing is for sure. Official silence is gasoline on a conspiracy fire. The CIA says the name Area 51 refers to its place on a map. It became government property back in the 1950s. Throughout the Cold War, the Air Force used the base 
to work on spy plane projects and stealth technology using the super long runways far from public view and all under the cloak of secrecy. Decades ago, when people started seeing things in the desert sky that they'd never seen before, rumors swirled about ships from space and visitors from somewhere other than Earth. With the government's official response of no comment, well, that convinced a lot of people that something out of this world must be going on at Area 51. One popular piece of alien lore is that a flying saucer that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico back in the 40s is stored there. Maybe even the spacecraft's occupants. The Air Force says no comment, and the rumor mill turns. television show called Roswell in the late 90s filled three seasons with stories of aliens who came to Earth at Roswell and, of course, had complicated high school relationships. Hard to imagine the X-Files without Roswell or Area 51. The theme of that whole series was the truth is out there. And many of the show's plot lines were alien mysteries and secrets kept from the masses at all costs. The show was a massive sensation, and the alien conspiracy theories, well, they exploded. And then the movie that brought a major Area 51 storyline to the big screen. Welcome to Earth. Independence Day. It put the President of the United States in the same room as the Roswell Flying Saucer. And where? Well, Area 51, of course. The space visitors in that movie, by the way, were not subtle or stealthy or very nice, for that matter. In 2019, a Facebook campaign called Storm Area 51 went viral. The organizers proposed a massive crowd of people run into the base all at the same time to overwhelm the security and finally see for themselves what is inside. More than 2 million Facebook users signed on to be there, but only about 150 people actually showed up. Wisely, though, they followed the military's stern advice to reconsider their plans, and nobody stormed the base. So here are your choices when it comes to Area 51. You can believe the government version that it is a military training base, and whatever goes on there is hush-hush and need-to-know only. Or you can believe that it's the official U.S. repository of evidence of alien life, spacecraft, and their non-human crew. Or you can believe that the truth is somewhere in the middle. Without a confirm or deny from the United States government, Area 51 can pretty much be anything you want it to be. And it is very possible we may find out more about this uh, on Wednesday. Again, the official congressional hearings, you can see me Wednesday morning. I'll be hosting our special live coverage of the congressional UFO hearings. It's 10 a.m. Eastern, right after Morning in America, right here on News Nation. We'll have the whole thing live for you. First time this has happened in a very, very long time. So it's going to be interesting. Okay, up next, alibi day for Brian Koberger, the man charged with slaughtering four University of Idaho students, faced a deadline to explain for the record where he was when those brutal murders happened. That deadline was today. We'll have details on it next. Today was a critical deadline in the University of Idaho quadruple murder case. First degree murder suspect, the only suspect 
Brian Koberger had until today to uh, present to the court his former alibi, if he has one at all. That is his whereabouts last November when somebody broke into an off-campus house and stabbed to death three young women and one young man, all students at the university. Now, if Koberger did provide an alibi, it has not yet been posted with all the other filings uh, and orders. He didn't. He's still considered innocent until the state of Idaho proves otherwise. Last month, Koberger's defense team filed a motion suggesting that his DNA found at the scene of the murders may have been planted there by someone in law enforcement. Brian Koberger is scheduled to stand trial October 2nd. That's still the plan. It's 70 days from now. Hard to believe. Prosecutors are seeking the death penalty. And if he filed that alibi paperwork, which is possible, we may not just not have seen it yet because of the gag order. And then also they're very, very delayed in uh, in posting those orders. That's it for tonight. Uh, Cuomo's coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.